Well, again, uh, good morning to all of you. Uh, welcome. And we continue this morning, if you're just joining us, we are, <clears throat> we're continuing in a sermon series uh, this, this summer, going through the book of Psalms. And this morning we'll be in Psalm 4. And as we, <clears throat> as we get started, I invite you to consider this situation. And in particular, consider how you'd expect this person to respond. So this person is a, a well-respected leader, uh, has great power and influence over thousands and thousands of people, uh, and yet now finding himself to be powerless in his own home. And his son is at the root of all this, causing major problems. And, and we're talking about much more than what we would normally think is a rebellious son. But he's trying to undermine not only his dad's authority, but his status and his position in the community. The son has already turned many once loyal followers against his father. So, of course, the father is, is crushed. Uh, he, is, he is broken. He is desperate. But it's worse than that because not only are his power and position threatened, but he discovers that his very life is in danger. He discovers that his son is out to kill him. Shocked, filled with grief and sorrow. The father can't bring himself to fight back and kill his son. And so he runs. He runs from home. He goes into hiding. Well, this is a scenario that was once presented to me, and now I encourage you for just a moment to put yourself in the place of this father. Imagine for a moment the intensity of, of the pain and the heartache. And what would you expect from him? You know, alongside the grief and, and the sorrow and the initial shock. Would it be anger? Fear? Bitterness? Despair? I mean, I could imagine someone in this situation being short-tempered with everyone around them, even becoming cynical and jaded and angry with God. What would you expect from this man? Now, I can tell by the looks on some of your faces, some of you have realized this is actually a true story. You don't have to go far to imagine it. Uh, we find this story told in 2 Samuel. Uh, chapters 14 to 18, the father being King David and his son Absalom. But as we look at David, his response is, is far different than we might expect someone in a situation like this. And there is something surprisingly hopeful in his response as well. Uh, Psalm 4, where, where we will be, opens, opens a door for us to see into David's heart, to see true hope in the midst of very real and very painful tragedy. So Psalm 4 uh, brings us to our text. If you're using the, the Bible in the chair in front of you, it's found on page 448. Let me pray for us before we hear God's word. Please join me. Father, we, 
we come to you this morning, and even as we sang your praise, I know my own heart was realizing that, that we can read this word, we can hear it, it can even be interesting. But Lord, unless you move among us, unless you move in us, our hearts will not truly understand, and we will not be changed. And yet that is what we are praying, that you would speak to us through this, your word, piercing our hearts and giving us life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And so now I invite you to hear the word of God, Psalm 4. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and, and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? O oh Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. And this is the word of God. It is given to us for our good, for his glory. And so let's turn to it now. Well, if you remember back to the beginning of our sermon series just about a month ago, uh, Psalms 1 and 2 are an introductory to the Psalter, to the, the songbook, the prayer book of God's people. Uh, we've already heard uh, both of these psalms opened up uh, for us. Psalm 1, where we, we see that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, uh, the righteous being those whose sin is not counted against them. And that their delight is found in God's word. And then in Psalm 2, the beauty that God's Messiah, his son, is sovereign over all and seated on the throne in heaven. And so then we come to Psalms 3 and 4. And these are actually the first prayers that we encounter in the book of Psalms. Both are of David as noted in the, the editorial note by the psalmist, both with 2 Samuel and this uh, palace coup of, of Absalom uh, in the background. Psalm 3 is a, a morning psalm. It would be uh, David arising in the morning, examining his own heart, looking at the day ahead, and, and falling to his knees and praying to the God of his deliverance early in the morning. And then throughout his day, he would, would pray and seek to follow his Lord and then come to the end of the day, a hard day, especially given 
all that's going on around him. And he would close Psalm 4, an evening psalm. Well, David was, was hiding from Absalom, and, he, and he's in a cave, but he's not alone. He's with a band of brothers, faithful followers who are with him, supporters uh, by his side, uh, just is distraught uh, given the circumstance. And Psalm 4 gives us insight into, into the heart of this man, uh, insight into the heart of Dave, David, helping us to see true hope in, in the midst of very real, personal Deep tragedy. You know, here, here's one of the most painful experiences that anyone could ever face, that David ever faced. And what do we see in him? Well, we're going to take a look inside Psalm 4. And in doing so, I'm going to organize uh, my comments around a few observations uh, that I found by Paul Tripp to be very helpful. But first, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think back just a few months does anyone remember the most creative ad at this year's Super Bowl? The most creative ad. And notice I didn't say television ad. So those of you uh, that are wondering, you probably did read about it the next day, and you may even remember it if you were on Twitter. Uh, but there was a power outage beginning of the second half, and it went dark. And people are tweeting, you know, about what is going on, what's going to happen with the game. And out of nowhere comes a picture of an Oreo cookie with these simple words. You can still dunk in the dark. <laughs> I mean, that's brilliance. And they didn't even have to pay millions of dollars for that. <clears throat> well, Psalm 4 is an Oreo cookie. Okay, on the one hand, it is an evening psalm, so you can dunk it in the dark. But more seriously, it, to, to, to help you get an idea, if you, if you look at it and you want to understand the structure, uh, verses 1 and 8 are the, the, the crispy chocolate cookie uh, that, that holds it all together. And then at the, the, very, the very center, uh, verses 4 and 5, as you'll see, the, the creamy filling in the middle. But it's all held together as one. And ultimately, it is good and for our delight. Now, back to the seriousness of this darkness. Uh, truly, uh, one of the darkest seasons that anyone could face, David, uh, for sure. And how do we see him respond? Well, Psalm 4, we're going to walk through uh, five observations here. And first, I want you to note that David does not run away from God. David doesn't run away. In a time when many might think that God has abandoned them, David doesn't run away, but rather he runs to God. Verses 1 and 2. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? So here we find David going under, he's under extreme humiliation, faced with lies about him, being spread throughout his kingdom. He's being under, undermined by dirty politics, false promises, enduring slander, 
character assassination, and all of this instigated by his son. And as David goes through all of that, instead of cursing God, he runs to him. He calls out to God. And note that David calls out with great confidence, declaring God's character. That's where he begins. He begins with God's character. O God of my righteousness. Declaring God's character, remembering God's deliverance in the past. This is the faithful God. Expecting, expectant of God's graciousness again. Anticipating it. O God of my righteousness, you who have rescued me before. O God, be gracious to me again today and hear my prayer. Uh, Ralph Davis explains that David is in a desperate and helpless condition. And yet he is not in despair, but has confidence in the Lord. Now think for a moment about a a small child. Maybe some of you will remember experiencing this. Uh, Maybe some of you have uh, children at home uh, who are, have uh, experienced this. But a, a small child, middle of the night, and they've had a nightmare or night tremors. But something, something very deep and profound has frightened them. They are distressed. They are desperate. They are helpless. But interestingly enough, if you think about it, they're not in despair. Because she knows that she can cry out. And mom and dad will come rescue her. She knows she can cry out. And mom and dad will be there. Well, the same goes for David. A nightmare is unfolding. He entrusts himself to God, running to him, calling out to him, and asking God to do what only God can do. Well, second, we see that David reminds himself that he is God's child. That he is one of God's beloved. That he belongs to God. Verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. David knows who he is. He also knows whose he is. And your sense of who you are, your identity, has a profound impact on the way that you respond to what's going on around you. Uh, There's a a story about Thomas Jefferson uh, when he went into a a Baltimore hotel uh, to ask for a room. And he'd been riding his horse all day. It was now the end of the day. And as he walked in, he looked a bit dirty, disheveled. And he asked about a room. The proprietor uh, did the once-over look at him and said, I'm sorry, but we have no room for you, sir. Uh, Thomas Jefferson asked a second time. Same response. So Jefferson left. I mean, he left, and he, he went to find a more hospitable hotel across town. Now, he was rejected. He was scoffed at because of his appearance, something that all of us face and to various degrees. But though he was, was scoffed at, though, though he was, in a sense, ridiculed because of what someone else thought of him, it didn't deter him. He knew who he was. He knew his standing, and he went on with the day. Well, Davis contends that those who despise us may regard us as a step above scum 
But that doesn't alter the fact that we are covenant ones whom the Lord has set apart for himself. That we are the beloved of God. And that is the ultimate definer for us. That is our identity in Christ. You see, the the weapon against slander is to remember who you are. Uh, To remember how God regards you. That in Christ you are uncondemned. That you are chosen in Him. That you are forgiven. That you are accepted. That you are loved. Now, the the voices don't always come from the outside, do they? No, sometimes they come from within. And we shouldn't listen to those voices either. Listening to the accusations, often of of an overly sensitive conscience. We need to hear who God says we are. And David reminds himself of this, that he has not been abandoned by God, but that God is his good and faithful father, that he is one of the the set-apart ones. And so with confidence, David can say, since I have been set apart by God, I know that he always, always hears me when I cry. I don't know why he has allowed this difficulty in my life, but I know that he always hears When I cry out in the midst of us, and he will meet me in it. Well, third, it's interesting to note that David examines his own heart. David takes a look at what is going on within him, verses uh, 4 and 5. Remember, this is the the center, the, the creamy middle of the Oreo. Be angry. And do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now, I don't know about you. I would imagine this is the case for most of us, at least many of us. I know it's the case for me. But when the hardship comes, how I tend to focus on the the external circumstance on what's going on around me, complaining incessantly about it. Oh, it's about that situation, or that person, or those people. Not David. He recognizes that there is a place for righteous anger. For sure. He says it right there. Be angry. Anger that's against that which is unjust, that which is not right, that which is not righteous. But David is well aware of the temptation to allow anger to become bitterness, hatred, vengefulness, and thus being owned by sin rather than trusting in God. Now, this does not discourage the use of of legal recourse when necessary. You need to hear that. It rather speaks against personal revenge that circumvents the law and consumes the lives of the vengeful. Well, verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Okay, right sacrifices. What are these? Now, as we read God's word, we want to know that this is relevant for us today. It'd be easy to, to read over this. I mean, we don't have a a sacrificial system here today. The Old Testament had a, um, 
a very elaborate sacrificial system. Is that what David is, is talking about? Well, we actually hear David define this later in uh, Psalm 51. He explains that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. In other words, repentance, sorrow, sorrow for one's continual sin, and then continually turning from that sin, turning to God, from that sin to God, a broken and contrite heart that looks to God. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in Him. In other words, faith, receiving and resting in Christ alone. In Christ alone as the one who will, the only one who can rescue. Rescue us from all sin, from all distress. Verses 4 and 5. Repentance and faith. This is the the center of the Oreo. the, The heart posture. The heart posture that recognizes and embraces grace. The grace of God. And that is held together. By the pillar of God's character and faithfulness, verse 1, and by the peace of God's provision and protection, his safekeeping, verse 8, where we'll be momentarily. Well, fourth, we find that David ministers to others despite his own personal pain. David looks at those around him and cares for them in the midst of very real personal pain and suffering for himself. Verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. Now, I need to make this comment because it's going to come into play in just a moment, but the, the original... Hebrew language, the language of the Old Testament, did not have punctuation in the way that we have it in our English language today. And so if you look at various uh, Bible translations, you see that the the translators uh, differ here at where the quotation marks go. And, And many of them place them only around the question, who will show us some good? And after studying the passage, that's how I too read the text, that it's just around the question. Okay, now having said that, Remember that David is not alone. Okay, it's easy to just read this, David and God. No, David, surrounded by a band of brothers, faithful supporters who have gone with him, not turned from him, but supporters who are also understandably distraught. And in, in, in particular, there, there would be distress from them. And many of them, David would hear, mumble or cry out, who will show us some good? What is going to happen to us? We feel the tide is against us. Everything is turning. Does anyone care? Are we going to die? How are we going to get out of this mess? And how does David respond? He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't ignore them. Instead, David ministers to them. He prays for the people around him, praying for others despite his own distress. Oh, Lord, Lift up the light of your face upon us. David prays that his friends would see God clearly. He recognizes the difficulty to see God through pain. And he is praying, God, show yourself. In the midst of this most painful drama, 
asking God to shine his blessing on them so that they can rest. And that leads to our final observation. Finally, we see that David rests in the midst of unrest. David finds rest in the midst of the storm. Now, we all know, or at least if you have looked at the whole of David's story, that he doesn't always respond well. He doesn't always trust and obey the God that he loves. He often screws up and screws up royally, pun intended. Just had to make sure you were with me. So we know that David is a real guy. And we get to see very clearly how, as you walk through his life, you lay out each of the Ten Commandments, and it is very easy to say, check, broke that one, check, broke that one, check, broke that one. All ten, multiple times. But here, we see David at rest. Verses 7 and 8. David says to the Lord, O Lord, you have put more joy in my heart than they when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down tonight, and I will sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So in the midst of all this pain and suffering that David is facing, he isn't overcome. He's not overcome by, by fear, by bitterness, by anger, by dread, by the, the very things that, that might overtake us. He's not overcome by them. But he's aware that he could be. And again, he, he comes to God in repentance and faith and then turns to a place of praise and trust and he speaks of experiencing joy. And, and, and not only does he speak about experiencing joy, but about sleeping. His life is on the line. There are people out to kill him. And he talks about sleeping. And, and not just sleeping, but sleeping in peace. Okay, I get to this, and this is where I'm really struggling, because that often does not mark me. And, and, I, you know, and I, I never have, I hope, that none of us ever have to experience what David did in this darkest hour. But if I'm upset at night, you know, something has gotten under my skin, I mean, I know how to lie down and spin. That's no problem. I can lie down, I can spin, anxiety, frustration, figuring out what I am going to do, how right I am, how wrong they are. But to, to lie down and sleep, well, sure, occasionally I sleep, but it's not very good. Lie down and sleep in peace. Here, David knows both joy and rest. It's a confident trust in the midst of troubling circumstances. Well, how? Why? How does this take place? Well, Paul Tripp says it well here. The, the answer is simple, yet profound. Because David's heart is controlled by something else. His heart isn't ruled by the comfort and status of palace life. His heart is ruled by God and the reality that he is one of God's children. You see, David hasn't lost the one thing that is most precious to him. The safety, the security, the, the stability of palace life. 
It's not about location and situation for him. He is recognizing once again that it is about a secure relationship with God. David still has what makes him joy-filled, secure, so that he can lie down and actually sleep in the midst of crushing disappointment. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Well, the story is told of Nicholas Ridley. Uh, It was the middle of October, uh, 1555, the night before he was to be executed in Oxford. The next day, he was to be burned at the stake for his faith. And so the night before his death, his his brother offered to to stay with Ridley, uh, to to offer what we would, would call the ministry of presence, to be with his brother in his final hours to offer words of of comfort, pointing him to Jesus. Well, Ridley refused the offer, saying that he planned to go to bed and sleep as soundly as he ever had. It was his last night on earth. Why not get a good night's rest? In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell and safety. Now, we don't have to think back to just 1555. I can think back to just this past Thursday. And those of you that received the, uh, the prayer updates uh, will know, well, you'll remember on this past Thursday that Kathy sent out a prayer request on behalf of a, a former Grace Covenant church member. Uh, John Van Ruyen uh, has just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. For all intents and purposes, he has been given a death sentence. And yet John and his wife, Ina, report that, and I quote, We are very much at peace with this situation and confident in God. In peace, I will both lie down and I will sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. For those who have looked to Jesus, those who have have looked to him, have trusted in his finished work on the cross, securing the forgiveness of our sin, reconciling us to God, making that secure and our safety for us. For those of us in Christ, like Nicholas Ridley, John Van Ruyen, for those of us in Christ, the God who ruled David's heart and gave him peace, he is at work. In our hearts too. And that's where the hope is. The hope of Psalm 4 is that it reflects God's work in broken, vulnerable, sinful people like you and like me. Because you see, ultimately the psalm is not about David and his response, but about God and his continual provision. Like David... We are all in desperate need of God's grace. Every moment of every day, our continuous need of Jesus. And the good news is, is that God pours out that grace every moment of every day. The Christ's work on the cross through the the power, the work of His indwelling Spirit makes this grace available to us every moment of every day. And as we grow in dependence on Jesus... 
we too will learn to more fully rest in him. A confident trust in the midst of troubling circumstances. You see, this is what happens to helpless believers who throw themselves on the God who saves. Let us pray. And Lord, we do look to you now. You, our Redeemer. You who saves. And we ask that you would continue to cultivate in our hearts, just as you did in David's, that work of repentance and faith, that we would learn to follow you and trust you more fully. Lord, that you would, you would help us to see, to see you clearly and to love as we are loved. Lord, that we too would know your peace, that we would be able to lie down and sleep. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.